Hey everybody, welcome to Tatva Tuesday. This is Lindsay Warwick, the conduit on YouTube and Spotify. Uh, super excited for this week's guest. We have Bunny Lennon, a sacred teacher, and just so happy that you're on the podcast this week and you're my guest. Uh, I've been looking forward to it all day because I had a trash day. So <laughs> thank you so much for agreeing to be on the podcast. How are you? I'm fine. I'm really glad to be here. I'm glad you asked me. I've been looking forward to it too. And I'm very good. Yeah. And you are in your RV right now? Yeah. This, this is my special happy place. <laughs> I love my house. I love lots of play, but this is my magic space. Absolutely. So I don't know if you remember the first time meeting me, but I remember the first time meeting you was at one of the uh, goddess gatherings on the beach. And we were walking off the beach and I think Sarah Nicole was there and she was purchasing clothes out of your vehicle. And I was like, right. oh my God, this like old hippie is selling clothes out of her vehicle. And then I bought, that was my, I bought my dress from you. <laughs> and so, yeah, like to get in the spirit of having this conversation with you, I put my dress on and oh, that's, awesome. that's the first time I ever met you. And then, you know, I met, um, Ethan and I'm like, Oh, that's Ethan's mom. And I'm just like, Oh my God. And yeah. So you put it all I, together. <laughs> yeah. It's all, it all. There's so, and there's so many connections. There's so many more. I know, you know it's amazing how we come together. I know, I know. And I'm just so excited that you're here because, you know, like I know Wade too. And you know, uh, he was telling my me my hero. He was here all day and he oh. was doing a bunch of he helps me do so many things. That's great. So he was great. Yeah, I don't know if I told him that you were gonna be on the podcast. I feel I like did. I, oh, you did? <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Yeah, that's awesome. Cool. Um, yeah, I, I just, I love, uh, the community that we are a part of, you know, yes. and I feel like you and Ethan and Wade and, and Hans and, and Sarah and Ken, you don't know Ken, do you? I met Ken, but I don't know okay. him well. Yeah. Well, you will. He's part of the whole crew. <laughs> yeah. I love being part of the community. Y'all are just so welcoming and, um, I know that I saw that you led an online class, like a, a series of classes um, a little while ago. And then reading your bio, uh, you plan on offering another one on relationships, which I feel like is perfect. Um, I mean, God, there's so much I feel like we, we could discuss. I feel like we could really talk for hours and we haven't even we hit could. the surface. <laughs> but I guess where we should start is, you know, the whole point of Tatva Tuesday is, how people find their conception of God or source. And so what is that? What does that look like for you? And like, what was your uh, journey? Um, my journey is- and I'll cut you off if I have to. <laughs> it's, yeah, do because it's, uh, it was a long one. And yeah. just by nature of my age, I've mm -hmm. got a lot of experience, you know? Yeah. But um. I started off as a, uh, I started off as Catholic in Catholic school, and I, I was in love with God until I was about eight years old, and then I just couldn't take the contradictions and the bullshit anymore, and uh, and so I got uh, and, and it's unfortunate to go through that when you're that age, because I didn't know that there were other options. You know, at the time, no, there was nobody to tell me I could see God differently or that, that there was still a God without the Catholic rules. So I basically, I was really angry at God and, um, and declared atheism which did not please my family at all. <laughs> um, 
And I never really felt like an atheist. I always knew there was something. I just had no idea what it was. And, and so I, I started looking inward and seeing just, okay, what works for life? You know, like uh, for some reason, I knew that honesty was really important. I, what I realized as a teenager was that the person I was ultimately going to have to answer to all my life was me. And that was the only thing I knew, but it was a really big thing to know. And so I started, uh, I started attempting to do that. The problem was the people that I was closest to, uh, my parents, I could not ever be honest with because it was dangerous, you know? So, um, so that gave me a real dilemma of, uh, I want to be honest, but I'm stuck in this corner. Um, anyway, I, I, I kept introspecting and, um, like I said, I was, I was a little kid and when I was a teenager, hippies came into being <laughs> and then I was set, you know, <laughs> there were people, it was, um, there were new ideas and there were people to hang out with and there were, uh, just all these new ideas that I had not come across at 15. Um, and then shortly after, well, it didn't seem short when you're 15, but um, I got married when I was 17. And I used to have this picture, you know, those uh, those folding, where you put two pictures together in a yeah, frame? Yeah, yeah. Well, I had a picture of my family of origin and I had my wedding picture. And under the, the captions were, on the family picture, it said frying pan. And on the wedding picture, it said fire. <laughs> because I had gone from one to the other. Uh, and you couldn't have told me then that I left home to get away from my family. Uh, I mean, I knew I wanted to do that, but I didn't realize how much of the motivation that was. I wasn't old enough to leave home, so I had to get married in order to leave. Uh, so my then husband, uh, was a friend of ours from high school came and told us about this commune that he was living in. It was a spiritual commune in Western Massachusetts. And we just had to go there and it was wonderful. And, and I had a brand new baby also. So this was the only time in my whole life that I wanted to be straight. I wanted a <laughs> machine. I wanted, you know, diapers. I, uh, more than I wanted to smoke dope or no God, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. These were the important things. But, um, so my husband went to visit the commune, but he wouldn't let me go because I wasn't spiritual enough. And he left me with two books. Uh, and I can't remember where they came from because they were not common in the day. But one was Autobiography of a Yogi. Ooh, yeah. And the other was, um, it's got a different name now, but it was the Aphorisms of Patanjali. Oh, yeah. Like the sutras? Yes. The sutras. Yeah. So the Autobiography of a Yogi, of course, was life-changing. Uh, Patanjali was like totally over my head. It's but, still over my head. But it stuck. There were things in it that stuck. Yeah. And there were possibilities that even what I didn't understand showed me so many possibilities, you know. And yeah. I thought it was really funny that I was required to read these two books in order to be as spiritual as my 18-year-old husband. So I could go visit the spiritual community, you know, uh, which I did and uh, just fell in love with the place. It was, it was amazing. Uh, 
very few people get the kind of opportunity that we had because not only were we discussing philosophy and and learning things and how to live and you know we're delving into eastern religions and all, all kinds of things but the part of it that most people don't get is we had the opportunity and the responsibility to live this all time wow and, and so um I mean, you know, getting breakfast could become a major conversation. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I mean, because there's so much involved in everything, you know, like I remember one of the first conversations I heard was someone walked past the kitchen pass through where there was a, I mean, there were a hundred of us about then. So wow. huge, huge bowl of bagels. So the person walked by and took a bagel. And then the person came out of the kitchen and said, um, you know, those bagels are for everyone tonight. And if you take one, then we could be short on, on them for everybody else. And I, I feel uh, ignored that you didn't ask me something like that, you know? And then the second person said, oh, I'm sorry. I had no idea. I just assumed that if I had one now, I wouldn't have one later. And so, I mean, that was kind of a conversation over picking up a bag, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Everything was discussed to death. Wow. And it, and it was great. Um, we weren't as kind and gentle then as we are now in the spiritual <laughs> community. And oh. <laughs> It was a lot harder. It was much more like, um, I can't think of what that other philosophy was called, but you were basically on the hot seat all the time. We were not as kind as we were um, uh, into calling each other out. You know, um, you're not doing it was like the curse of, <laughs> you know, you, if you weren't being spiritual, you know. You're not doing it, <laughs> wow. but um, but it was like I said, it was a little rougher than what we deal with these days. Uh, but it was worth so much. It was just, it was, it was amazing. It was a very hard way for me to live because I had babies. I had two babies by then, and everybody else was uh, nineteen years old, give or take. You know and had, did not relate to babies at all. And I was also not healthy. So that made it hard because all 19 year olds are healthy, you know? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I mean, for the most part, when you gather a whole bunch of people that age, you're not dealing with a lot of illness. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but it makes me, I didn't see it at the time, but now it makes me realize how committed I was to go through everything I went through in order to stay there and be part of it. It was, um, it was well worth it. That's amazing. Um, how long were you there? <gasps> Whoop, dog. Uh, let's see. I got there in 1970. Uh, and, and we, we outgrew ourselves, so we couldn't just stay on one property. So there were a lot of different phases. And there was a phase where uh, we had bought buildings, the main buildings downtown in this little tiny town. So a lot of us were living in apartments, and and uh, sometimes it was hard to tell who was actually a member of the community and who wasn't. But I was involved from 1970 until 1980. Five-ish, maybe eighty. Yeah, about that. And that's where I met Ken. And that's where I had Ethan. Wow. Oh my God. I'm just like, whoa. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, what kind of like requirements? Like, were there requirements to live there, and like rules and everything? Well, the rules were no drugs, which was unheard of in communes at that time. 
no drugs, no alcohol, no promiscuity, and no violence. And you signed all your worldly goods over to the community. So we, we took a vow of poverty legally. We weren't smart enough then to take a vow of abundance <laughs> instead <laughs> of poverty. Yeah, I need wow. you to give me one second. I'm sorry about that. That's okay. My, uh, I need a minute. My mouth gets too dry talking. Oh, okay. Yeah, I have my tea here, so I understand. <laughs> um, so, where, where was I? Um, vow of poverty. Yeah. So we were very serious and it was a very intense place to live. So you had to be, you had to be pretty serious to stick around. And um, a lot of us were because we grew to about, I think at our height, we had about uh, over 400 people. Wow. So then Ethan was born there? <laughs> uh, yeah. Wow. And then what, like, how did you end up leaving? Well, I left a lot of times because I used to fight with the leader. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and most people didn't. Um, but I would, I would reach a point where something was untenable for me. Um, you know, the first couple of years, when I talk about the, the real spiritual community, the first couple of years were the uh, height of that. And then things changed and got diluted and got off track. And over the years, things got different. Um, but it was uh, those, those first couple of years that really set us up for life. This life, yeah. Like, you asked me something else. I don't know what it, I. I lost it. Um, I was asking like how you end up leaving, but oh, instead right. of that, I actually want to ask you first. Like you said, it it set you up for life. Like, what are some of the main takeaways? If well, you can even summarize that, you know, our our biggest thing, and our biggest mistake spiritually speaking was we wanted to save the world and we expected to save the world and it didn't dawn on us number one that the world did not need saving and number two if it did it did not necessarily want to be saved in the way we wanted to save it <laughs> yeah and what what was that so well, you know, we wanted peace and love and tie-dye for everybody, and we wanted everybody to get along, and we wanted peace, basically. Love and, and peace. And you can't shove that down people's throats, you know? We were also, you have to realize, this was a time when we had to hide. Well, once, I mean, we had, once we were on our property, we didn't have to hide, but in general, if you wanted to meditate or do yoga, for example, you didn't do those things publicly. You didn't tell people about that. You know, if you wanted to find a book like Autobiography of a Yogi, you went down some dark street into a, a cult bookstore that was behind, you know, some other weird thing. It wasn't public like it is now. And it was not accepted. Um, it was actually dangerous. Um, so, whole different ball game than today. Uh, and I'm I'm gonna keep losing track of your questions because I have I go off track. <laughs> it's okay. Um, I think I just asked, like you know, you like I guess you know what prompted you to finally leave? Okay. And then I guess what happened from there? <laughs> right. Um, 
we left when it was no longer, let's see how do I do this. Our leader, uh, who was absolutely awesome when he was awesome. And you have to realize that he started this when he was 17 years old. And, uh, you know, Ken, my husband, Ken, was working with some teenagers uh, on a volunteer thing last week. And, and he was asking the people in charge, like, okay, what can we expect from these kids? What can they do? What can't they do? And he came home and he said, well, you know, I was asking about these kids and their capabilities. And I realized that Michael was 17, the same age, when he moved into a treehouse and started this commune, you know? Oh my God. That's <laughs> and we crazy. just don't think of it like that anymore, of kids being um, that that uh, mature or that interested. And I don't want to diss all kids because I have no I have no issues with any generation. Um, I wish I knew more uh, about the, some of the younger people. I think people should have friends in every generation. I know? agree. Um, but I'm missing the 20 year olds right now. <laughs> and I agree. Uh, it, it's really, it gives you so much and it, not to mention, you need their music. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Yeah, no. You got to find out. Once my kids left home, I was behind on music for, you know, decades. I still am. For sure. And I've al- I've always been the type of person, um, you know, that I I do have friends of all of all ages. I'd say I have more older friends than my actual age or younger, just because I think I'm an old soul. So I just find I can have better conversations with older people. But I also think young people provide all of it is about life is about perspective. Right. And so it's all the different perspectives. So I like I love that you said that. And that's so fascinating that the leader of this commune was a teenager, basically. Yeah when he started it. And then I always just get like, was it like culty? Like, cause I've seen so many documentaries and now my brain, you know what I'm saying? Like my I brain exactly what you're saying. I'm like, you know did he have like multiple girlfriends? Like that we, type of shit. <laughs> we have about 250 people in a Facebook group that are all former commune members. And, and they're still arguing over whether or not we were a cult. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Cause like, I've seen so many documentaries and it's like people start to worship the leader and like the leader is like, you know, polyamorous, like multiple partners, tons of fucking kids, you know? And I'm just like, wow. As, as far as the leader, the leaders usually uh, go around the bend. You know, and but the thing to realize is we help send them there. You know, mm-hmm. when, when you put somebody on a pedestal. Yeah, the power. Yeah. And they don't get the normal feedback that people get. Like, you know, you're an asshole when people treat what, like you're an asshole. You know, you know, <laughs> yeah. something, something must be wrong here. Um. But when somebody says yes to every stupid idea you have, or when they (laughs) think that you know just from the ether what they're going through or what's happening, especially once you get into these numbers where we might not see him for weeks at a time, you know, we weren't all spending a lot of quality time with him because it was too many of us. And then what happens with the leaders is, there are people who won't take a shit without getting the okay from the leader. Yeah, they so, get real like guru, like you are the yes. guru, you're the God, and they get worshiped like they are not human. They get worshiped yes. like they are higher than human. Right. And once they get that busy and they have so much to deal with, now it really doesn't make sense for them 
to clean the toilets because any of us can clean the toilets right. or wash the dishes, you know? So it makes sense for them to do what people go to them for. But as soon as that happens, they start losing touch with toilet cleaning and dishwashing and the day-to-day stuff of life, you know? Yeah. So, so it's a... Um, it's a, a bad situation for them to be in as well as for their their people to be in. Um, Michael handled it very well up to a point. And I've known a number of these people um, and I've loved a number of these people. And, and they've gone off the track somewhere they almost always sleep with a lot of women. I mean, that's, if you look at any, uh, any of the um, community groups like uh, Oneida, you know, the silverware company started out as a, a community of, um, I can't remember what the religious thing was. Mormon? Uh, no. Um, it was a, another different thing, hmm. but but uh, that was, I think, in the late 1800s, and they were a very cool community, uh, but, you know, he was sleeping around with all the women, and, and, uh, and in a lot of cultures, not just, not just hippie alternative communities, but in a lot of cultures, it's considered, um, an honor for a young girl to lose her virginity to the leader of the group. And that's in, in a lot of indigenous cultures, that's true. It's the, I guess the concept is that they should be with someone who loves them and will honor them. Now we can gag at that today in our culture if we're talking about grown men and 15 year old women, but it's not, it's something that's really pretty universal. Um, and it's, it's one of the most talked about things and one of the least important things while it's happening, assuming that the women are grown ups. You know, um, I mean, in his 70s, having a 16 year old girl be with a 20 year old man was not the hoopla it is today. Uh, having a 12 year old girl, whole different story, you know, but um, yeah. older teenagers were just, it just was not, um, it, it was not made as big as big a deal of, we're pretty much considered adults. And I personally am responsible for some over 18 men going that route when I was 16. I mean, I, I was just gonna say like, <laughs> I was 17 and I had like a 21 year old boyfriend and right. I don't know, like I didn't yeah. really think of that, but prepubescent, that's, that's, that's a whole fucking thing. another thing. That's a sickness. That's a whole other thing. For sure. And, and we did have, which I don't know who knew, if anybody knew, there were occurrences of sexual abuse in the community, just like there are outside the community, um, that we didn't know about for years. Mm. And, and then when they came up, uh, years later we dealt with them as best we could I mean it was a it was done so what had happened to the girls um they had had to deal with pretty much alone uh and you know we're talking about all people who who were sure that their kids would talk to them you know oh, yeah. our kids were all raised as you can tell me anything don't ever hesitate to talk to me that whole thing and your kids aren't going to talk to you about things like that. But generally, once in a while, yes, but it, it just didn't happen. So we did, there were a few things that 
we didn't know about for years. And like I said, I'm not defending that, but I think that would happen wherever you are. Oh uh, yeah, I think it's we didn't have human condition. Yeah, we didn't have more of it than any place else. No, I think you get a bunch of humans together. You try to, I don't know why this keeps coming up into my head, but like Lord of the Flies for some reason, like that, that book, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. you know, you, you try to create a community and then it becomes a battle of ego and higher self or animal right. instinct versus morality. And I mean, it's just some fucked up human shit, basically. Right. We had to, um, <clears throat> We had to really work with ego because picture that you're in a relationship and you're either heartbroken, it ends, you're either heartbroken or you've broken someone's heart, okay? So generally speaking, you move away. I mean, at least out of the house, you know? We couldn't do that. Yeah, because you're in that close thing. Yeah. So we had to find a way. Ken and I split up many times in the early years, but you have to find a way to live down the hall or in the next house and and deal with it. And that is that alone would be major life lessons. Absolutely. So uh, there were a lot of really interesting things we dealt with. As far as when I finally left, Michael, our leader, had had gotten into, um, well, he was big at rock and roll. We had a lot of bands and uh, music-related companies. We had a big tour bus company. And um, so the, the goal was that the band was going to make a gazillion dollars and <laughs> Basically, that's how we were going to save the world, get the message out, you know, and then everybody would go, all right, (laughs) and the world would change, you know. Yeah. But uh, getting involved in all of the glitz and uh, rock and roll in the early 80s 80s was, uh, it it was rife with drugs. Oh, yeah. Every tour. And for a while, it seemed like every tour, somebody died. Somebody went to rehab and somebody died. And uh, this was around the time when uh, Ronnie Rhodes uh, got killed, Ozzy's, Ozzy's guitar player. Mm. Um, and there were just so many people then. Um, so a lot of people ended up in... Uh, rehab or dead or um, they just faded away uh, or, or continued as a mess where they'd have to be, <laughs> you know, carried on stage, you know? Yeah. But it was a really high time for that stuff. So Michael got into drugs and alcohol and um, so did a bunch of other of us. Um, I became an alcoholic. Well, I guess if you're an alcoholic, you, you've always been an alcoholic. You just don't know it till a certain point. But we didn't drink in the commune. So you had no way to know if, that you were an alcoholic if you didn't drink. Once we started drinking, um, we went off the rails. It was not, uh, you, can't, you can't keep your shit together for any length of time if you're doing any of those things too much. And it's interesting to me today because it's not to say you can't live a spiritual life while you're becoming an alcoholic. And one of the things that concerns me today is I watch as wine becomes a really big part of people's yoga practice. Mm. And not not across the board, but I've just seen it kind of creep in. And it concerns me because people are trying to live spiritually. They are trying to do something better. And the fact that they're drinking 
even if it's too much, doesn't mean it'll wipe them out entirely. And, and they may not be of actual alcoholic genes or tendencies or whatever. They may just go, go through a phase. But um, it concerns me that it's as acceptable as it is uh, because I, I see people kind of going over a little bit past where they want to be, I think. The fact that it's an accepted part of the culture uh, is a little bit worrisome. And I think people need to kind of keep an eye out for that. And I'm not saying, I'm not doing the recovered alcoholic thing where it's terrible and nobody should drink and nobody should sell and nobody, you know. I just think it is something for people to watch out for because it'll sneak up on them before they know it. I am glad that you brought this up. Um, I've had my own history of, you know, sobriety and then not sobriety. Um, I, I was a binge drinker when I was young and I kept getting into all these, you know, problems and alcohol was like a big factor. So I was like, oh, I must be an alcoholic. So I tried that route. I tried the program route and it really did help me connect with God. And it really did help me get to yoga. Um, and then, you know, along the way, I was like, this isn't for me. And I left and then some problems happened. And then I went back <laughs> and something really shifted in me, you know, the last time that I was there and I connected with God and source and, and I opted to leave. But now I, I don't like the way alcohol makes me feel. I, from an energetic spiritual perspective, because I do right. spiritual work too, it lowers your vibration. Like it lowers your frequency. I'm literally not me for, it doesn't right. matter if I have one drink. I am so sensitive now to that being in my body. Physically, I don't like it. And energetically and spiritually, I don't like it. And so it's, that's been, that's like been on my mind. So I'm like glad that you actually mentioned it because it is so like accepted in, in, even in religion, the blood of Christ, it's wine. Right. And it's like, right. you know, I, I feel that alcohol, it's literal poison to the body. Um, so yeah, I'm not part of like that, the program anymore per se, but it's, I like will drink occasionally, but even when I do, I'm like, Ugh, why did I even have that one drink? I don't right. like the way that I feel. So right. interesting. It can also, um, I remember at the end of my drinking days, I was more intuitive and more psychic than I have ever been because that veil gets thinner. And, and as you lose touch with reality, whichever reality you are following at the moment. <laughs> and that's, uh, and that's another really interesting. What's part. reality and what's time. You know right. what? I just need a whole podcast. It just needs conversations with bunny because what the fuck is reality and what the actual fuck is time. Right. Yeah. No. Yeah. Definitely. Like, yeah, I, oh. I feel that, yeah, it's, it also allows you, right? So you're very intuitive and psychic. So am I. And then when I drink, it almost opens up this portal for negative energy. Is that where you were going with that? Well, not just negative. I don't think it's just negative. I think it's intense and you tend to misread it. You see a lot. I yeah. saw a lot that was true. But I've also, I, I, I wasn't good at dealing with it because I wasn't in any condition to deal with whether it was true or not, mm -hmm. um, you know? So, uh, and there were times when I used to think that being psychic equated with being spiritual. It has nothing to do with it. it <laughs> you know? That is a free, that is a free will choice. Right. I actually was talking to my friend earlier today because I was having such a fucked up day and I was like, 
you know, she was like, you're so powerful. I'm like, yeah. Can you imagine if I use all this power for bad? And she was just like, oh my God, you're on another level today. And I really was. It's so true though, because source, God, our higher self, whatever gives us this free will to choose. So yeah, I love that you said, oh, a psychic is automatically spiritual. Well, not necessarily. It's it's a choice what they do with that energy. Right. So, so basically I haven't had a drink in about uh, 39 years. Wow. That's awesome. Are you like sober, sober from all things or just alcohol uh, or? No, I'm, um, well, I don't like smoking dope, which I think is very unfortunate because I used to love it, but I, it doesn't make me feel good. Okay. Um, I, uh, I take a lot of drugs, a, a lot of medication. Oh, I was like, oh. so, so I'm like, um, I'm lucky that that doesn't trigger me like alcohol yeah my big big issue was alcohol and um and i did more of other drugs than i would have like um, there was a cocaine phase when i was in college which was in the 70s and um you know i have i have no interest in that well every now and then i go man hell of a drug (laughs) <laughs> I could use some medicinal cocaine. Cocaine, today. hell of a drug. But, mm-hmm. Well, I haven't had any in uh, 38 years. So I I never swore off everything. I swore off alcohol. In fact, well, you don't even do that because you do it one day at a time, you know. Mm-hmm. But I knew alcohol was out for me. Um, I've been known to uh, microdose mushrooms certain times um i don't know if you read the article i wrote about the um toad medicine the oh you did uh the toad medicine yeah and i've been um, learning about that from my shamanic teacher is it called combo i haven't heard it called that maybe that's another one (laughs) but it's five m-e-o-d-m-t Oh. And I sent you a link to the, or I sent the article in email, I think, an attachment. Um, so I did that, but I did that not as a drug experience. I did it as a God Here, experience. Yes. Um, and that's what I'm more likely to do. I'm not really a, I don't, I don't party with drugs really anymore. Uh, unless it's a, unless it's a, a small bit of mushrooms um, in a place where it's legal not in this country of course <laughs> but um right i don't even want to trip i i don't want to do that unless i'm set out and set up for a god trip for a higher experience and that toad medicine was one of the highlights of my life, as was LSD when I was younger. That was not a fun party drug. I I don't know how it could be. Um, It was so intense and life-changing that I don't even think of it when we talk about doing drugs, you know? So even though I never swore off all drugs, um, I don't, I'm, I'm really not interested in in doing them i hear you i i'm not either i'm on a spiritual path a shamanic path and i'm very interested in uh ayahuasca and journeying for spiritual purposes but i don't i don't like just like to get fucked up like that's just not it's not who i am anymore it was (laughs) it was and now it's just not who i am anymore um and i think that these plant medicines that are available to people are really awesome for expansion it's just how they're using it right and it's like it's a fast track i think to spirituality which works for some people Um, But I think all those levels of consciousness can also be explored in yogic breath or yogic movement or meditation or just fucking silence. You know what I mean? It's 
when we uh, when we most of us got to the commune and like i said we were pretty young but we had had the acid experience and we what we wanted basically was to live that life without the acid and you know rondas talks a lot about um keep trying to get the high but the high always goes away so you have to you have to do it again you have to do it again and yeah. to, to be able to get to that state where you're living where you want to be in that bliss in that high without the drug that's pretty much what we were looking for that was our that's what we were trying to do did you find it to some degree yes yeah and where was it and right here <laughs> you know yeah i think i think the um initial drug the initial lsd experiences were kind of like the uh when they shock your heart to restart it yeah they were like the okay jump start now we got it you know now we're now we know what we want where we want to be mm -hmm. because it was hugely life-changing and uh, and and i go through this with ken too it, you know, anytime we go back through our okay what would have happened if where were the pivotal points or you know we always come back to the acid point which was separate we weren't together then um but we always come to back to that as being one of the big uh changes one of the places where the road split is he sober too yeah, he's been sober for about 38 years. Okay. Wow, yeah. that's really that, cool. That one year in between was torture. <laughs> oh, yeah, because you said 39 and he was 38. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah, and Ethan says, you're never going to let him live that year down, are you? And I say, not a chance. That year <laughs> was so hard. <laughs> wow god i feel like we could talk so much I, like you know i know your bio says that you're um a certified life coach and you've been married for so long and i'm like god we're, ah, i'm like looking at the time i'm like wow where what should we talk about next because it's like yeah i can't even believe that well, oh, we have like, I could do this all night. Me too. <laughs> me too with you. Um, we have like 10, 10 or 12 minutes left. So, um, it's just so fascinating too. Like I, I had a really stressful day today, like just with life and relationships and anger, <laughs> honestly, uh, got the best of me today. It's like, yeah, I had an experience where I decided to end a long friendship and I like got word that she had reached out to one of my close friends and I thought it was from a compassionate heart space. So I'm like, oh, okay, great. Maybe I'll make a connection there. And then when I saw what the conversation was, it it wasn't that way at all. It was, oh, it was, I was relieved to that this happened. And it was almost like she was fishing for my other friend to join in or something right. which didn't happen. Right. Um, and I just lost my shit because I was pissed off at myself. Like, why did I even go? Cause I had reached out to her and I'm like, well, why is she asking my friend about me, but not responding to me? And then I learned right the true nature of the message. And so for me, the message is I already set that boundary. I closed that door and I went back in thinking that it would be different, but this person just fucking demonstrated who they really are. And that's been a big theme in my life lately. It's like, listen to the red flags, look at when people show you who they are the first time Right. And why, why even be surprised when it's like, you can't expect an asshole not to act like an asshole kind of a thing. Right. That was, Although, you know, it will never hurt you. It'll hurt your pride and it'll give you a bad day, but it will never let hurt you 
to let a person go a little too far before you stop it. And, and that could take all day to explain. But what I mean is better that you should be open and be taken advantage of a little bit than you should be closed and miss when it's an opportunity for a healing. I thought that there was an opportunity for healing and that's not, that is what my initial perception was. But then when I that's why you did the right thing. Yeah. Even though it didn't turn out right. Yeah, exactly. So, and then I reacted in anger and I'm like, and then I reeled it in because I'm like, why am I getting angry? This is why I, I don't have you in my life anymore. Right. Like I can't be mad that you're acting like you. That's why I didn't want you right. in my life. So same thing, like just with the dating scene. I mean, we could talk about relate, we could talk about all kinds of shit, but it's like giving people second chances when they've already showed it, it, it is a fine line, I think, of accepting what they're showing you. Yes. And then also allowing some human humanity and some grace. Yes. But at what point do you say no? Well, you know, we've been, I think, over conditioned to associate love, especially as women, love with niceness. And I heard the interview you did with um, Nikki. My Nikki. Yeah, Nikki. <laughs> I love and, her. And talking about abusive relationships. Oh yeah, fuck. And it and it blows my mind because I've I've been in one. So many people have been in them, and it's people that you often wouldn't expect. I know. I think part of the reason is because we have so associated love with lack of boundaries. Oh, yes, that's been happening too. like the people without boundaries. It's like they keep showing up. And so I have to keep setting them. Right. It's yeah, it's the whole overly nice thing and super comfortable, like right away is turning into a red flag for me. Right. But with ourselves, we're taught to be we're like. Ken said, Ken's basic philosophy in a nutshell is uh, remember, uh, be kind when possible, and it's always possible. Okay, that's his, his whole thing. And I don't really disagree with that, but I have a little different perspective on it because I think that kindness does not always look like what love needs to look like. You know what I mean? It's door being a doormat. Yeah. Appears more kind sometimes. No. Then and and so to me, as far as kindness is always possible, acting from love may always be possible but it's not always gonna look nice and kissy and squishy and happy. It might be a good fuck you. <laughs> Honestly, like that's where I'm at. Like I, yeah, it's lately for me, it's setting boundaries and not feeling guilty about them right. or not internalizing. Like if someone treats me a shitty way, like making it my fault, like, that's right. not my fucking fault. That's your right. shit. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? But it's definitely been a journey for me. And yeah, I think I'm one of those women where people would look at me and be like, I was in an abusive relationship. It brought out all my ugliness. It really right. did. And I allowed this man to treat and talk to me and do things that you look at me and listen to me and get to know me. And you're like, what? Like even my brothers, when I told them some shit, were like, what the fuck? Like my, my Italian sister from New Jersey, you let him say what? Like one time like that about me too. (laughs) Yeah. And, and you know, Nikki as well, like such a strong woman. And it's like, just allowed shit. And 
Man, but that's where the work is, right? Where the contrast is, the those were those hard fucking relationships, man. I looked at myself after that and I was like, who the fuck are you? I don't okay. even recognize, I don't even know who you are. And so it was like, then you go in or some people check the fuck out. Like you said, some people check out, some people check in and I, I check the fuck in. Yeah. And so now when I see... Cause I'm out dating and doing and meeting people. It's like, if I see you're checking out, I'm, I'm checking the fuck out, you know, right. but if you're checking in and you're, you're doing the inner work like that, that is attractive to me. That's appealing to right. me. Like, I just don't want to fuck around anymore with, with myself, with my sanctity. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things that Ken remembers, and he forgets a lot of things <laughs> from our early relationship. But one of the things he has remembered is that I told him early on, very, very early on, because uh, I'm not five feet tall. I don't weigh a hundred. I know. Pounds, you know? I know. And I'm so told, precious. <laughs> I told him, you can hit me once. Uh, you can hit me once. There's nothing I can do about it. But do not ever close your eyes again. And he got that message, not like he's a violent guy and would have been beaten on me anyway. But I was so absolute about, I am not going here again. I've been there, got the lesson, do not need to repeat this act, you know? And it's amazing how we attract people that there's no possible way we could know the things about them that we attract and yet we attract it anyway. You know, I mean, I know. And I feel like this could be a whole other podcast. It was like, how did I attract that? Well, low level of self-worth and then, you know, yeah. Limiting beliefs. uh All kinds of shit. Magical because I mean, when I met Ken, like I said, we're in a, a commune. We weren't drinking. Okay, so in in the end, I didn't want to be with an alcoholic like my father was an alcoholic. I didn't know I was one, but I knew my father was one and I didn't want to be with one. Okay, I had no way in the world to know that Ken was an alcoholic because he didn't drink. And, you know, fast forward a few years, it's like, what the fuck did I do? Yeah. It's so crazy. It's so crazy, but oh my God, I feel like we're just like touching the iceberg, but I know. like, we're literally like on the hour. Okay. Well, let's um, do this. Let's, let's do, do it every, every day. day. Yeah. <laughs> let's do like a part two. Okay. Um, God, I just feel like this has been such a fascinating conversation and now we're getting into like deep, deeper shit. But, um, yeah. Is there anything else that you want to share? I mean, I know you make things, I mean, there's so much about you. Um, (laughs) we need you to come back on. Okay. I'm going to, I have to look at my calendar and see, I'm pretty, I'm pretty booked, but I want to, I'm going to get you back on so we can keep talking. Yeah, this was great. I had a really good time. Me I, too. Couldn't have, I couldn't have done anything tonight that would have been more fun. Oh, um, you're so hmm, <laughs> Yes. So um, and we'll have to get together so you can visit the Rolling Crone and and see all the goodies I've got. Yeah, I, I, more, uh, I need more tie dye. I look naked this whole <laughs> podcast. <laughs> it's like so fitting, but yeah. So. I, um, I'll put your bio, uh, in the notes for Spotify and YouTube. And then if people want to, you know, reach out to you, uh, you're on Facebook yes. and all of my, web- my website is down, Yes, but you can put my Facebook address and my phone number. <clears throat> okay. Well, thank you so much for thank just being so here. It was so fascinating. Wonderful. I'm going to look at my calendar and um, I'll send you a message so we can plan for the next one. But thank you so much to the listeners or the viewers, however you're consuming, you know, the information. I hope that you thought that this was a dope conversation because I did. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Yes. So. And, uh, 
and let's get together in real life and hang out. I know me too. Well, I'll yeah. see, I'm yes. Let's make, I'm going to message you. We'll make all the things happen. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much, everybody. I hope you all have a great week. And thank you. Blessings to everyone. Thank you.